Hey everybody and welcome back to Unafraid. This is the podcast that's really celebrating uh, the stories and discussions uh, about the queer life experience and it, it's just it's a really good time and the sun is out today so I'm in a, in a great mood. I already did one embroidery project and I didn't mess it up so that put me in a great mood so we, we are winning. Oh and the, the other big thing is I just got my first of the COVID vaccines this morning. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. My wife went, my wife and I went and, you know, we had to stand, stand in line for maybe a half an hour or so. It really wasn't terrible, guys. So if you have the ability to sign up, you know, if you're getting a notification from your local health department, definitely do it. It's, it's worth it. My arm's a little sore, but I think that we can all deal with a, with a sore arm for the sake of safety. Um, I want to give a big shout out to the show sponsor, Rebecca Jonesy. You've heard me talk about her every single week since the, the show got going. Uh, and that's because she's an amazing friend and a great ally to the queer community. She heard the first couple episodes and really wanted to be involved in making sure that the show keeps going. Um, so I'm excited about that and extremely grateful to her. Um, because last year I, I had to stop working and I haven't been back to work since. So uh, even though it's not super expensive running a show, it, it certainly helps when you have someone uh, that's saying, hey, I'm going to take care of this for you. So you can just focus on talking to guests and getting the word out. So so there's my, my spiel. Um, I don't think there's uh, any other huge things going on right now in my life. I mentioned the sunshine, but I'll mention it again because I'm so happy about it. Um, absolutely love getting out there in the sun. Well, we have a wonderful new guest for you today, and she is another author. And I love speaking to authors because I write as well, and so I feel like we already have a little bit of common ground. Gayla Turner, how are you? I'm doing great, Jay, and congr congratulations on your first COVID shot. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. Now, have you been able to, to get one yourself? I was just able to get it Friday, so I'm oh, also on the first batch uh, so I feel that, okay, it's uh, it's starting to happen and things are starting to loosen up a little bit. But, you know, hopefully just still being cautious and, uh, you know, doing the right things of keeping distance and, and uh, not getting too carried away with it. Heck yeah. Well, yeah. And that and that's something definitely to mention. You know, even though you're vaccinated, definitely keep your distance, <laughs> wear your mask. Uh, there are millions and millions of people who are not vaccinated. So we've got to We've we've really got to to take care of them and and take care of ourselves here while we're while we're trying to fight the pandemic. And I just saw an article pop up uh, just the other day. I think it was on Facebook that uh, was something about get ready to let, live in a state of permanent pandemic. And I was like, no, I'm no, I I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna read that right now. I'm just gonna do my best, and I don't wanna don't wanna think about that kind of future. So, <laughs> uh, so. Tell me a little bit about you. I know that you write, and I know about your book. Well, we're definitely going to dig into the book, but tell me a little bit about yourself, Gayla. Um, well, it's great to be here, and um, yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of, this is a pre-launch of my book, but um, about myself, I was born and raised in Southern California, so uh, try not to hold that against me too much, but um, um you know, so sunny days are not necessarily a new thing around here, but I, I totally empathize with the folks back east. I, I have all the empathy in the world. Um, it, you know, having uh, the experience of growing up in Los Angeles, uh, did kind of the typical thing in high school and college, was in, played in some bands, uh, nothing monumental, just little, you know, cover bands in, in high school and college. Um, in college, as um, 
you know, I fell in love with the, the lead singer of the band and, um, you know, realized at that point that, wow, okay, I'm in love with Norma and it makes so much sense. And now it makes so much more sense because prior to that, I was just kind of in a fog of not understanding why I felt so different than all my friends. And uh, so it was a, definitely a, a it, by that time, it was like early 80s, so uh, it was still a little uh, taboo, but um, nothing, um, you know, too, I guess, earth-shattering as far as the community being in Los Angeles. Uh, but in by, you know, by that time, um, you know, in the early 80s, it was still difficult. You know, you, the mom and dad coming out story was always the, the mom saying, how could this happen? I, I didn't know, you know, how did, when did this happen? You didn't tell me. And I'm like, mom, I was, there's no calendar or life event that I can say that and point to and say, yeah, this is why I became a lesbian or why I'm gay. Uh, it just is who I am. So um, uh, at that point, you know, I, I was really lucky. Uh, my parents, they accepted me and they loved me uh, for who I was and how I, I and who I loved. And, um, you know, which is not always the case. You know, a lot of my, my friends at that time, uh, they were kicked out from their families because they were not accepted. So in the 80s and 90s, um, my friends were also a part of my family because you, know, you take care of them and they were homeless. Uh, we would, um, you know, they'd stay with me or uh, I would help take care of them. And we'd, we have this, uh, the community of just really, um, taking care of each other because they didn't have anybody else to love them. And so we, um, that's what we had to do. And I understand even today, it's so hard, uh, coming out, depending on where you live in the country. Uh, it's exactly the same thing that the homelessness and abandonment of children that come out as queer, uh, it, it is still very high and it's, it's sadly still very high. Well, and I think that, Having just having affirming parents or a, a solid group of affirming friends, I mean, it, it saves lives. I, I think that probably the the rate of, of suicide and and other tragic events amongst those who are who are homeless or, or don't have loving and affirming parents are is I, I don't know the numbers, but I've got to imagine they are they're not good. They're not, you know, and and I feel very blessed to live where I live, but you know, you look at that and, and it is. Um, the numbers are, are alarm, alarmingly high um, as far as, um, you know, the, the homelessness and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the kids, they, they congregate or they come to Los Angeles because they know it's, it's a little bit, I guess, less, uh, you're less judged or less restrictions. Uh, but then, you know, they fall into a lot of other things, a lot of bad things when kids come to Los Angeles um, you know, looking for a better life, sometimes they fall into a worse life because there's a lot of kids on the streets, unfortunately. So uh, it still is, is a, a problem that we need to address um, throughout our community is how are we going to get support for them? And, and um, I, I'm volunteer over at the Gay and Lesbian Center of Los Angeles. Um, there's a lot of, of kids that come through there, a lot of teens that come through there. So um, that was, I guess, one of the things that I really felt compelled to write my book um, is really to kind of let kids know that you're not alone. Um, when I was writing the book, I made the discovery, 
and we can probably talk a little bit more about that is um, finding the photos that I found of my grandmother's was kind of a, a life affirming for me and it helped me realize that our queer history is there and it deserves to be told because we have always been a part of history. Uh, we just had to live in the shadows of history because it was too dangerous for us to do otherwise. But uh, to let kids know that our history is there, it's strong, we just need to tell our, our history and our queer history of, of, what, um, of, of what we know of it. Oh, for sure. Well, in this, this idea of... Uh you know, people from an older generation saying, well, you know, this, it wasn't like this when, when I was young, we didn't have queer people or we didn't have gluten allergies or, or whatever it is, you know, whatever they, they happen to think is ridiculous. It was just, it's not true, is it? No, it's not. It was so funny when I was writing the book, I, I did a, an awful lot of research. Um, and I would, when, as I was talking to people about my book, it was so funny because almost everybody I talked to it doesn't matter if they're a queer or straight. They'd always say, you know what? Yeah, you know, I have a Uncle Sam or a great aunt Louise, and we always thought that she might have been. And or even, you know, I think my father was gay. He passed away, but I think he was gay. Um, it's so funny how we we start having these conversations about other people in our family, and even though we think that we're the only ones in our family that are are, are queer, we realize that wow, there's a whole generation of people out there um, that we've never told their stories. And uh, it was just, it was really fascinating, though, to, to really talk to people and, and see them start to identify and say, okay, we've, the, the, the LGBTQ community is nothing new. We haven't just made that up in the last 30, 40 years. It's, it's, we've always been there. So I think that was one of my big aha moments when I started talking to people uh, they started realizing, yeah, we have always been in history. Well, and I think that, at least in in our country, at least in the in the U.S., the the majority here is going to be, you know, white cishet people or white straight people, um, mm -hmm. and I think that it's it's hard for someone who is not part of the queer community to understand the the danger that queer people have faced throughout the entirety of history really and and even now today um you know that yes we were always there but like you said we had to live in the shadows because it and it wasn't a matter of there was going to be some stigma or, or somebody was going to call us a bad name i mean there are serious consequences throughout history for being queer and even today in some countries of the world where it is illegal or where people are, are killed or, or beaten or raped for being queer. So this is a this is a very dark and disturbing part of history that a lot of people don't know because it's not being teached. Um, right. It's not being taught. And, and I think that that is a big part of the problem. It's, it's hard to have empathy for people if you don't understand what's going on and, and you haven't been told if it's just out of the blue someone telling you something you're like going to be like wait what that doesn't sound right but it but it's real it, it's really happened oh, absolutely and the, the consequences for um you know even you know the, the photos that i have um dating back to the early 1900s i mean if if photos were found with two women together or two men together um, were found back then. I mean, it wouldn't be just a negative stigma. It would be 
there was laws in place that you, they would be arrested, uh, they would be criminalized, they would be fined, they would actually be put in jail um, if you were found to be what they considered uh, illicit behavior or immoral behavior because there were so many laws um, being applied to to try to um, quell any kind of, of as deviant behavior is what they would call it. So uh, they would actually find people, put them in jail, uh, put them in mental institutions. Family could a family back then uh, could institutionalize one of their children. Um, you know, and there is dangers, physical danger. Um, where I found a couple of stories uh, in particular, where uh, in the early 1900s, a teacher, a female teacher, uh, was basically kidnapped by three men. Um, she was um, not raped, but what they had done to her is they had had put tar on her body, on her lower lower torso of her body, uh, and left her like that. And and what was even more disturbing about that particular story is that that story was placed in the um, women's section of a newspaper of uh, next to Thanksgiving Day meals. So you kind of wonder, like, where is what is the message that they're sending people uh, where it was a single female teacher um, that I am probably assuming that either she rejected one of their advances or she wasn't interested in one of their advances in, in any way, shape or form. Uh, and that was more of a form of punishment. So you find articles like that that are put in to a newspaper into a section that would be normally read by women and you kind of go wow what is the message that they're sending to other people uh, so it was it was very it was enlightening and I'm not a historian by any shape of the imagination I just happened to have fallen into a story that requires me to dig more for information and I when I found the information it was it was lovely, it was charming, but it was also uh, at the same time realizing how brave that they must have been to have loved each other back then and to have taken photos uh, and kept the photos uh, was especially brave because the stigma and the danger that was involved with that, um, I don't think we really have any real concept of how dangerous it would have been uh, mm -hmm. for them. Well, in, yeah, we, to to bring us to, to current day and my, my own family, which, which I talk about a lot on here, you know, my, my youngest, you know, the, with, with their friends, when they go out are brazenly queer, they are just out and proud and not just out and proud, but aggressive. They're, you know, they will not take any, any shit. And I, and I absolutely love it. But anytime when I, when I, see them together as a group I, I always think wow this this is probably the first time in history that people have been able to go out and and act like this and be like this and it's still not safe in some places not in all places but um i i think it's i think it's pretty incredible where we are now i think that every generation has gotten a little bit better and now, now we're at the point where I'm surprised when one of my kids tells me they're straight. I'm like, oh, really? Are you sure? 
Are you sure this isn't just a phase? <laughs> <laughs> when did you know you were straight? I don't know. <laughs> oh, but it's it's a it's a very different world. Um, well, I've kind of been talking your ear off about this, and I I want to to get into another story, and this is the the don't you you dare story. And you know when you when you emailed me and uh, you you told me you know just this brief little snippet about it. So I went to your website and I was reading through it. I was like, oh my god, this is phenomenal. And I get to this point where there's a secret lesbian society. I'm like, oh, I am hooked. I'm I'm I here know. for this. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent here for this. Um, yeah, but if, if you could tell me, tell me where the story starts and the story starts with, with finding photos, right? Finding my photos, right. And what it was is, is really that, um, my mother, I found these photos about 10 years ago. Uh, my mother was suffering from dementia and me and my sister would go up to, she lived in Nevada at the time in the middle of the, of the desert for God's sakes. Uh, so we would drive up there, and, and when we got there, we would kind of go through old family photos and kind of uh, showing my mom the photos and, and trying to kind of engage her with her past and, and our past. So we would kind of make that as a, a normal part of our, let's go see mom and relive the photos of our past. Um, and one of the photos, I had gone up there by myself, and I was looking for some photos to go over with my mom. And I found this old box in the back of the closet saying mom's old photos. And I'm like, well, that's odd. I've never seen that box before. So I'm like, cool, more photos, new photos to go through to show mom that I've never seen. And so I opened the box. And I'm like, wow, these are really old photos. I mean, they they predated her date of birth. And she was born in 1923. Uh, so these photos um, – what it was, it looked like an, somebody's old photo album that had just kind of been dumped into this box. So back then they would take photos and put them on this um, like black matted paper and underneath there, there would be white writing and ink. Uh, so it was, it was clearly somebody's photo album that uh, was kind of tucked away in this box. And so I'm like going through the photos. I'm like, oh my God, these are my grandmother's photos. And I would show my mom. I go, mom, this is your mom and this is grandma. And she would kind of like nod, you know, kind of like, yeah, okay. And she wasn't really engaged. And it was hard to say really because of the dementia. Did she really understand what I was trying to show her or was it something that she didn't want to see? I was, I've never been clear about that, but I always kind of felt it was more of she just, didn't want to see. Um, so when I was going through these photos and I was looking at, at a few of the photos that I found on my grandmother and grandfather's wedding announcement in, in 1920, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then I found some other photos that said um, it had a man and a woman on it. It was, it was my grandmother and she was clearly in a woman's uh, wedding gown um, holding a bouquet of flowers with a veil over it. And underneath it, it said, our, we our wedding. And the date was June 8th, 1915. I'm like, well, wait a minute, mom, wait, I thought she was born, she was she was married to my grandfather in 1920, so who's this other guy? And I, thought, I kind of thought, ooh, mom, grandma's got a secret. So I was kind of intrigued by that. So I'm like breaking out my mom's magnifying glass and looking at everything. And, and I looked at the photos and I'm like, there's something that doesn't look right about the groom and I kept on looking and then I got my the magnifying glass and I realized that the photos on um, the photos themselves um, 
her the jacket uh, was t- the sleeves were tucked underneath on the jacket to to make it fit better. Um, the the man the groom was wearing a hat and there was a tuck of hair underneath the hat. I'm like, well, that's odd because men back then were all very kind of very well groomed and no men would not have long hair back then and and the pants were rolled up and then the feet were very small and the hands were dainty and then of course that that opened up and that light bulb went over went on and I re, I just sat back and realizing oh my god this is a woman this is a woman in these photos with my grandmother um and it's the blanket of warmth that I felt and I I even feel it now telling you the story is that it just felt that my grandma was with me at that time with saying thank you for finding me thank you for for finding us um, because it was it was just one of those moments where it was just so touching because I was looking at those photos and I'm like wow and I just started crying I I, I was just like I was like showing my mom I'm like this is your mom right and she was like yeah I'm like and I was just still kind of in disbelief about it. And, um, you know, even, you know, into the next day driving back to L.A., I was I was a mess. I, I was just crying. And then I was happy. I was happy tears because I felt for the first time in my life that I wasn't the only one in my family. You know, I didn't feel alone anymore. I didn't feel like the oddball, the the square peg of my family that I'm the only person that brought home, you know, uh, uh, their girlfriend. I felt like I was now a part of my family in a way that I was, it was just a, a, an affirmation of me. And I just felt finally that I, I was not the oddball. And so it was just a, an incredible feeling to have that gift and the feeling that uh, of, of just knowing I, I'm not alone anymore. So it did kind of, it was a, a huge part of my life. And for 50 years, for almost 50 years of my life, I felt that way. So it wasn't like just, a, you know, I, I all for 50 years of my life almost, I felt like I was the only person in my family that was queer. And um, it really changed my perspective on everything. That is amazing. That is, and and I'm I guess I'm on the website right now, and your grandmother was Ruby. Yes. Okay. And then uh, there's a, a picture underneath that wedding picture that says uh, Ella and me, right? Right. And and that's the the two of them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How how interesting. And that was 1915. Holy 1915. smokes. So it really was. Yeah, I, I just can't tell you enough how much I just think that our history is there and, and just needs to be told. Um, you know, and it was interesting doing the research because I found out who Ella was um, because newspapers back then were really more of, that was their social media. Their social media was getting their um, little local newspaper and finding out who was coming in from town and who was visiting Uncle Ralph from Florida and all this other stuff. So. I was able to start placing people and events with the photos and the dates of the photos. So I was able to go back to the local newspaper and find out um, an Ella that had come and visit that that weekend from uh, from out of town. And I was able to start picturing and, and putting places and people together because it wasn't just 
this particular set of photos. Uh, there was a lot of people. It was a subculture of people uh, in Wisconsin, for all places, uh, that found each other um, and would have events together. There was different seasons. There was winter seasons. There was fall seasons. There was different people involved. Um, there was picture of, of of men together in a way that you kind of go, wow, that's a very that's it was so loving. Um, and so it was a it wasn't an anomaly of these one set of photos and one event. It was an ongoing relationship uh, within that small, very small kept community. Well, and you said that this was in with your mother's photos. Now, so I, I have to assume that at some point your your mother had looked at the those photos and probably came to that same conclusion at some point in her life. Did she ever? I mean, I, I know that when you when you brought it to her attention, it was kind of a it, it, she was you know uh, had dementia, and so that was probably a bad time to talk about it. But did you get the idea that she she knew those were there? You know, I I have I've thought about that a lot, and and, and I I do talk about that in the book as far as. You know those those photos. They were they were separate from her photos, but they were obviously in her closet. She knew that they were there, um, and, and I do vaguely remember at one point when my grandmother Ruby passed away. Because my grandmother Ruby passed away 30 years prior to all this happening, so I, of course I couldn't go back to her and say, "Grandma, can we talk?" Uh, it was like, "Wow, how do I how how do I kind of reengage? How do I backtrack where all these photos came from?" Um, and a lot of what I've, when I remember uh, going to St. Louis when she passed away, and I was in, in my, I was a teenager, and I do remember a boxes that were in my grandmother's storage that we kind of took back um, from St. Louis to Los Angeles, and that's probably one of those photos. One of those boxes was probably those photos. But you have to, I have to imagine that those photos were kept with my grandmother. For every place that she moved prior to that point, um, so she had to have kept those box. That box kind of became a, almost a, its own character in the role because it, it. You have to imagine that has gone from 1915 to when I discovered it, you know, 10 years ago. My grandmother took that box of photos with her everywhere she went. It, that was one of her only possessions that she really had other than some, some clothes and some jewelry. So she kept those photos with her all of her life. And, and nobody knew, I don't believe my mom, if she did, if my mom did know what was inside the box, she didn't talk about it. And I don't think she ever talked about it. But I think she kept the box of photos because that's what her grandmother, that's what her mother had always done, is kept those boxes of photos. Okay. Well, and so clearly it was... Something that you know, even though your grandmother had had remarried and and had kids and grandkids, that something that was very very important to her that that she keep and and that's that's a really amazing thing that it it ended up in in your care and and that you could make these discoveries and this connection with her that that you probably didn't you never knew you had. I never. And if anybody else would have found the photos, like if my brother or sister would have found the photos, they probably would not have looked the way I looked at those photos and discovered what I just discovered because you know, like you're first looking at these photos, you're just really seeing a, a bride and a groom. That's all you're seeing, but you just need to look at it deeper and, and realize that that's a woman, not a, a man. Wow. How, how cool is that? Well, and it, it really makes me want to 
dig through old photos now. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. How cool. And, and my, my, my wife, and she absolutely loves old photos and she loves digging into, into family history and, um, her grandmother, well, I'm not sure if it was her grandmother or her great grandmother. Um, she was, was also with a woman, but, um, it was grandma and aunt Stevie. It was aunt Stevie is, is what they, they called her. So I, I, I don't think it was something that when the kids were young that they ever made the connection that, oh, this is this is a couple. It was, you know, Grandma and Aunt Stevie. But, um, right. you know, looking back now, of, of course, it's obvious. And, and Heather has my, my wife has told me that the stories about them and I actually in, included them in one of the, the fiction novels that I wrote because I was so in love with their story. It's mm -hmm. just a, such a fun. And I, and I don't know why it seems so special to me these these you know gay and lesbian couples from you know from yesteryear but yeah. it it just does it it just there's something absolutely adorable about it and something incredibly brave about it uh oh, just really. just to be able to be themselves um yeah. and what's super interesting is that like, so many of the photos were just so playful they're so witty um there's this one scene um where it's, uh, it's it's obviously in the winter and my grandmother's standing on one side and there's a, a kind of a, a butch woman on one side and pulling on the other side was another butch woman it's saying it's, it's it's on the bottom of the caption it says all push no pull um, and it was just funny I mean and I always know my, my grandmother had kind of a quirky little sense of humor but these are hysterical they're just so fun and loving with each other um, that it was just touching but it was also, to me, tragically sad because that's all they could ever have were photos. They couldn't have their relationships. They couldn't go further or much further than what the photos would tell us. And that was the bittersweet truth of it is that, you know, if they dared to keep these photos, which a lot of them would not keep the photos because they would be uh, in fear of being discovered, that's all that they would ever have. And that, that was where the love story of Ella and Ruby come in uh, with the book and, and telling their story about how, you know, how, how queer love, it was so difficult back then and, and how dangerous it was and, and the decisions that people had to make um, because also that was a huge part of the, um, you know, Comstock laws and everything else, and, and a lot of the religious groups were coming in and, and really painting a frame that, you know, to be a true American, uh, you had to have a husband and a wife, and you had to have the kids, and you have the white picket fence, um, but that was a part of your American duty was to go out and set forth and have this family. So to not have that back then uh, and that was right before World War One. It really made you, it painted you as almost un-American if you didn't have um, the family, the family structure. So, you know, there was so much pressure um, from all sides, um, you know, from just loving who you, you want to love because there was so much pressure uh, from your, your communities and also now from the religious, um, you know, leaders telling you that you have to be a good American by by getting married and having kids. And if you didn't have kids, well, then you weren't a good American. Well, and I don't think that people of, you know, my generation and, and my kids' generations under, understand that um, back then to, to be an American, really, it wasn't 
just an idea or or, an, or even an ideal. It, it there really was pressure. It was something that you had to actively <laughs> actively yeah. do, um, and and that's not something I, I think that really exists for for most of us anymore. Um, thankfully, there are plenty of us that are Americans or love their country or, or love living in this country. But, you know, we don't we don't have to feel compelled to act or be a certain way because of it in certain places. And, and you know, where where I am, that's that's true. But I don't know that that's true everywhere, you know. Um, but tell me a little bit. Oh, you know, before I ask that, I had kind of I kind of thought of this and. You know, while I'm I'm looking at this picture of Ella and Ruby, you know, sitting back to back on it looks like a large wash bin. It uh, is, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, it looks like something my grandma would would have had in uh, in her barn. Um, but right. you know, looking at this picture and hearing you talk about them, it's it's almost like, you know, the, this idea that all they had was the handful of photographs, and and it's like by. By telling this story and talking about them, you're almost breathing new life into this into this very old love story. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how their their story ended. I, I don't know how their relationship ended or how she ended up with your grandfather. But I know that just by being able to tell this story, you know, somewhere somehow they're they're smiling about this. You know, does that make sense? No, it totally does. And you know, I have a friend of mine that that said exactly the same thing. It's it's closed their story because, you know, there was a social group at that time um, that uh, a lot of the men and women uh, belonged to. Um, And so a lot of the, the, what I call the the lesbian social club is this group of women that found a way to love each other. And I talk about Cora and she was kind of the, the ringleader of this group. And I do feel that it does have a certain amount of, of, resurrection and of telling the story and having it now at peace to where their story is told it's out there um, and they can now have a certain amount of peace knowing that their story is being told so I totally understand I and I felt that um, as I was writing it because uh, I even went I went to Wisconsin um, actually I, I went to Wisconsin on the hundred year anniversary I went there um, on the 2015 on June 8th because I, I knew where they got married at. I knew where the wedding photos were taken. So I went there on June 8th, 19, uh, 2015, and walked the grounds. And um, I just said thank you. And I, I, w- I did homage to them by, by celebrating their 100-year anniversary. Uh, and I felt their, their presence. I felt Ellen Ruby's presence of just being there and telling their story and um, just bringing it almost full circle of there's their their lesbian her lesbian granddaughter is now walking the same grounds that she did uh, was to me a, a really special time to where it was just me that went there I had some someone that says oh well, you should have a film crew there you should have all these people yeah you know what it was just such a private moment with me and my grandmother uh, it was it was an amazing trip I, I took so. I do talk about that in the book too, as far as you know, what was that trip like, and doing that research there, and and being on the almost like sacred ground, as far as I'm concerned, of of a lesbian wedding that that took place that um, that they that time forgot. Well, I have to say that's some top-notch sleuth work that you did there. 
Um, that's that's pretty fantastic, and to to be able to go and visit on the anniversary that it gave me chills just just listening to it. I was like, oh man, that is that is awesome. That is such a cool thing, and and you know, for those of you listening, um, well, and I'm gonna link Gala's uh, website in the episode description, so make sure you click click on it. But these in these photos, everybody looks fabulous, especially the secret lesbian social club. These ladies are amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. There's, there was, well, the, the best part about my mother keeping the photos where she did, it was almost the ideal um, environment for these photos. Because if I left them in Los Angeles because of humidity and everything else, and it was just, they were literally in cardboard boxes. But being in cardboard boxes in Nevada with dry humid in the dark, it was actually perfect. Uh, conditions to keep them very well preserved. So um, yeah, the photos are so much fun. They're they're just a lot of fun, and um, I'd like to do eventually like a picture book of all the photos because it, it's it really does the the photos do tell the story. I'm kind of the conduit, but that's where the the parallel journey of my discovering and telling their story, and actually the love story that does emerge between. Ruby and Ella um, come up, and also the the story with the Lesbian Social Club are now kind of uh, weaving a, a history within our our queer community. Well, and you know that's that's a good point there because you you know we're we're talking about stories, and we're talking about the story that you wrote, and we're talking about the story that these pictures tell, and all of the history behind them, and for you. It's it's very touching and and important. You have a very close personal connection to this, but why are stories like this important to everyone else? Why is this important to society as a whole to to read these kinds of things? You know, it does. You know, these are the stories. You know, I always wish I had. You know, going through school and stuff. You know, we go through history. Um, you know, I never identified with anybody in history. I never really identified with some of the. The, the movies or love stories we had to read for book reports, I, I didn't relate to any of them. Um, the queer stories need to be told not only for so other kids growing up can see themselves, um, but it's, it's something that has been lost that we need to remember how far we've come. You know, you've mentioned that, you know, you know kids are so much different nowadays. So it's a different story for them. Their, their dialogue is totally different. Uh, but even growing up in the 70s and, and the 80s and 90s, um, you know, it there, there was nobody out there. I mean, we were, there was danger. Uh, and kind of the kids need to know about their history. This is something that the rights they have now and, and what we had in the past are so vastly different that, that we need to know where we came from to know where we're going. Uh, so I think this is really important for uh, for everybody to understand that, that we've always been there in history. Um, we worked hard for, for where we are now, but don't forget that. It's, it's not a, a right that we can just kind of squander because as we know, especially in the last four years, you know, we think that our, our rights are guaranteed, but unfortunately they're not. They're, they're very fragile. They're very fragile um, rights that we have right now, and and everything can change based on the who's in charge and I think we've seen in the last four years how horrible it can get if we don't remember where we came from. Oh, 100% and you 
you know, you kind of touched on something that's that's also very important. Um, I think we talked about with a comic book artist who was on, on uh, just a few months ago, and that's representation. And, um, it, you know, to a lot of people, maybe that's just a word. Um, and and that's okay if you if you don't know you know the it's just you know a process of, of learning a process of, of education and talking to people but you know you, you said you you never really saw or read about people that were like you when you were growing up and um, I didn't either and I think a lot of people in the queer community didn't and it makes a big difference to us it makes such a difference in being okay with who we are and even celebrating who who we are because before we can celebrate who we are we we have to we we have to be okay with it we have to know that there's not something aberrant about us there's not something wrong or disgusting with us and and seeing representation in pop culture even though it may seem silly to some people really does make a difference and Thankfully, this gen- this generation is seeing a lot more re- representation, and uh, we're starting to get more representation for for people of color. Uh, that isn't negative re- representation, which it was for many many years. Um, and if you want to dig into that whole disgusting history, be my guest. But I'm not going to get into it now because it'll it'll just make me mad. Um, but so that that representation is is incredibly important, and I'm so I'm so glad that we are starting to see more representation for queer people in TV shows and films and books that aren't just, you know, this is the token gay person or this is the, the goofy, silly gay person. You know, yeah, or the, yeah, yeah. They always stereotype, put us in the stereotypes and and we're everything. We're everybody. We look like everybody. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not helpful. It really isn't, you know. <laughs> we had uh, Jason Stewart, an, an actor on, uh, you know, a few weeks back, and he was saying that... Uh, you know, his his first, you know, however many film roles were were all playing the uh, the funny gay guy, and it's like, you know, okay, well, you know, you land in those film roles, and he acknowledged that that was important for his career, but, you know, he said, I'm I'm an actor, and I'm just like everybody. I just want to act and play different roles, and I don't need to be this this goofy character that doesn't really exist. Um, and if you're if you're a funny gay guy out there, I have nothing against you. I love you, <laughs> but you know we we need to be representing us as people. Uh, that's super important. <laughs> it is, and, and this and not only that, but it gives us power knowing that our stories deserve to be told. Um, so I think that it gives us that kind of that affirmation of like, yeah, we we are there. We've always been there, uh, and our stories do deserve to be told, and not in just the secret little corners, nooks, and crannies, but in a very wide open frame. So I think it's the more we can tell these stories about our ancestors, uh, the more we can start making a difference. Definitely. Well, and I, um, <clears throat> I've been talking about this a lot on another podcast that, that I'm a part of, but maybe not so much on this one um, because we don't talk about uh, books all that often. But um, I read at the beginning of this year, I, I think maybe I got it even on, on New Year's Day, The Nevernight Chronicles, which is a series of three fiction books by, I believe he's Australian. Uh, please don't, you know, don't yell at me if I'm wrong. Uh, an author named Jay Kristoff. This big giant, I mean, he kind of he kind of looks like he could be Hagrid from um, Harry Potter. Just this <laughs> enormous man. And uh, this is a very bloody, violent fantasy novel that a good friend of mine recommended to me and said, and she told me, you know, you're, you're going to love this. This is great. 
and beautifully written, great story. And there's this super, really deep, wide, uh, queer vein throughout the whole story. But it's not a central focus of the story. It's just part of the character. It's just part of what you're reading. You don't have to call all sorts of attention to it. You right. know, it, it was, and it was so wonderful to read because I, I believe this is a, a straight author who really fricking wrote this right. And I was like, I gotta read. yeah, <laughs> so oh, that's awesome. So that's, it's just, it's so good to, to read stuff like that. Um, the stuff that's being done right. Yeah. Oh. So tell me about when this book is coming out. Um, I, it will be out by the end of July. Uh, so I'm kind of just doing a pre-launch, um, getting, you know, if, um, looking for support, obviously for just the newsletters and signing up, uh, for anybody interested in receiving some advanced notification, um, you can contact me or reach out to me at www.galaturner.com and that's G-A-Y-L-A-T-U-R-N-E-R. Um, sign up for my newsletter. Um, I'll be, hopefully once we all get our shots and it's safe to go out and about in the world, I can start doing some speaking um, engagements within the community, uh, the LGBT Center of LA, uh, One Archives, which is a huge archive out here, is the biggest in the nation, um, and doing promoting and just getting the word out there that we're, we've always been here. And um, uh, I, I just can't wait to share the story with everybody. It's it's really exciting. Awesome. And, you know, I I used to, back in the days before COVID, uh, host live events with authors at our at our library here, and, and we always have a great response. And so when things open up, open up. If you end up uh, doing a speaking tour, I'm definitely going to reach out and see if I can get you in here because I would love you, love to have you come in and oh, talk yeah, to our community. Totally. Yeah, no, I, I love it and I, I can't wait to, to get out to, to, and about and just being able to, to travel once again and, and that would be wonderful. But just telling the story, I think, is, is going to be so much fun. Well, Gayla, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really enjoyed talking to you and hearing your stories today. Well, thank you, Jay. It was great being with you and, and getting to, to know you as well. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk soon. I sure hope so. Well, and to Rebecca Jonesy, the show's sponsor, thank you so much again for your sponsorship. It's, it, it's been great uh, being able to do this show without having to worry about how, how am I going to pay for the show. So <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, everybody, you can visit Rebecca's website. There will be a link right in the episode show notes where you can check out her wonderful fiction. And to everyone else out there, stay safe and stay strong. Mm-hmm.